Amen. Let's get a little rowdy in here now. Let's get a little rowdy. <clears throat> Welcome to day number eight of the 40 days of the prayer challenge. I want to recommend one more time, and we'll do this consistently throughout Take advantage of this little book, Draw a Circle. There are just some powerful and insightful encouragements to your faith, reminders of the power of God, calling us into that place of believing. One of the things that I appreciate Mark Batterson saying is, he said, I, I, I don't know... I don't know how many prayers the Lord will answer, but I can promise you that he won't answer 100% of the prayers that aren't prayed. We have not because we ask not. And this is, uh, this is coming at us from a number of wonderful directions as if the Lord is saying, I'm calling my people to pray. Nothing is impossible with God. There's, there's a timing in when he breaks through the impossible to bring forth that which is possible in his heart. There's always a timing. But he leads us in the direction of that specific point as he moves in our hearts to pray. There are people you know, and God knows he has you in the relationship with, with them because you know him and you know them and he calls upon you and me. He invites us to participate with him in what he's wanting to do in others' lives by calling us to the place of prayer for them. There have been some great things happen already in this, in this week and those of you that are, that are part of the, the uh, Facebook a group that's that's um, and a bunch of you are doing it that way, and you are you're getting something every day to be a call to prayer, a reminder to pray. It's an excerpt out of the little book, but also some scriptures, other references. Um, and if you're on our our uh, email list, you're getting this as well. And if you just let us have your email address. We're not going to give it out anywhere. It's just for the purpose of communicating with us. Some very well done daily calls to prayer. And in each one of those, there is a worship song that's been inserted just specifically to fit with, with that day's call to prayer. And I really want to encourage you, take advantage of what's, what's coming at you by way of the Facebook group, but also by way of the emails coming out from the church. And and I'm going to tell you, those of you who are scattered uh, all over the world, literally, who are hearing this right now, you are as much a part of what's going on as, as if you were right here in this room. And it's, it's just, it is a supernatural thing how the Lord is knitting hearts and creating these circles all over the place. I, I want to give you just a, um, two or three reports. One, one is a, um, a sister here at Alamo City who didn't have a uh, anybody that she knew of to be a part of her prayer circle, but she bought an extra book, and then she found out that her upstairs neighbor was doing the same challenge with her church, but couldn't afford the book. 
So she gave her her extra book, and they're now a prayer circle. How about that? Uh, parents uh, praying um, for their kids to get jobs, and kids are getting jobs, which is always a blessing, isn't it? Broken hearts praying for healing, several praying for restored relationships with estranged children. One, this is cool, one prayed for a co-worker's finances. They're both hairdressers, and someone came in that very day for a high-dollar service, whatever that was. It wasn't barbershop I go to, I guarantee you, but, but good for them. Then now, this one's good, a married couple that wanted to pray together, but the husband got up at 3.30 every day, and the wife didn't want to get up that early. <laughs> But the amazing thing is that God has been waking her up straight up at 3 o'clock a.m. So they get to pray together before, they, before he, goes, he goes to work. How about just a little short Super Bowl report? How about just a little short? A year ago, you've heard this story a year ago, our family, our, our, our kids, Shirley and I, their spouses... Um, linked up in the 40-day prayer challenge, and one of those, as I've told you, one of those parts of the praying for Abby and Ryan Petkoff is that what was going on in his job with the Hunt Sports Group, the owners of the Kansas City Chiefs, that they, they would sense a direction, a future, what exactly they were supposed to do there. He was he a great job. Things seemed to be going well. He just wasn't sure about if that's where he was supposed to stay or not and told you that um, as we continued to pray, and um, earlier in this, in this past summer, um, he, he was given a promotion and made a vice president in charge of communications and, and brand development is, is the name of the deal. Well, so, so we've been tracking Kansas City. We have, we've been converted. I hate to say it. We, we've backslidden away from the Texans and the Cowboys. Backslidden away, so our hearts are kinda, have been moved up there to the Kansas City Chiefs because of a connection. And uh, that that they have, and as we moved into the season and all, there was there was uh, just a, just a sense because of the group that makes up kind of the core of of the leadership there. There's just a really a desire for the Lord to be glorified and and honored, and and that miraculous game against the Texans. I say that to you Texan fans, but um, when the Chiefs came back and 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 won that game, so we're sitting, and lo and behold, they're in the Super Bowl. We're sitting there watching it. And, and Abby and Ryan are in one of the owner's uh, suites there in Miami, and we're getting these, these text leaks coming from there down to our phones, our little, our little chain. And so it's going in, if you kept up with the game, it's going up, going into the fourth quarter, and, and the Chiefs were way down. And so Abby, Abby sends out this, this frantic cry for prayer said, would you pray, pray for us? We are a better team than this. And then she says, come on, Jesus, help us play our best. That was it. Not give us the Lombardi trophy, but help us play our best. Well, lo and behold, and we hate to take you know, much credit for this, but there came that string of about 20 unanswered points. You remember that? And the Chiefs end up, ended up winning the game. And, and um the prayer throughout, and it was even as they were walking the, the field ahead of time, the prayer was in the Lord, you be glorified in this. Whichever way, win, lose, or draw, just let it be glorified. Well, it, it's ended up that that testimony, Mark Hunt has been a, um, 
Good Morning America, wherever all the places he's been reviewed, he'll just, he'll just say that the priority is, is God first, our relationship with the Lord first, and then family, and then sports, and then all this other stuff. There have been opportunities for the Lord to be glorified. Um, one other little thing this, this past week, I, Ryan texted Abby, and Abby texted me, and the, the text from Ryan was, you need to tell your daddy that the White House called trying to find Clark Hunt because the president wants to congratulate Clark on the win. Well, and then he goes on to say, and they had to use my phone to do that with. So patched into his phone was President Trump, and, and he's talking to now. Let me just, I know somebody said, where is that in the Bible? It isn't in the Bible. (laughs) That part, those specifics. But here's what we tried to say last week. The Lord knows how to thrill you. The Lord knows how to thrill you. He has the ability, he has the heart to plant dreams in your heart so big that you won't be able to accomplish it. And when the dream rises up and you think about it, you think that's impossible. That is, and I appreciate Batterson's statement on that, that's one way you know it's a God-sized dream and not just a man-made dream if it is something that you could never do on your own. But it would take the blessing and the favor of the Lord to cause it to come into being. During these 40 days, there are going to be some times in, in, in many of your lives where there'll be points at which you feel like the Lord is putting something in your heart. We, we use the word speaking something to our hearts. It's not necessarily an audible voice, but it can definitely be something where Scripture comes off the page or there's just a sense, a sense of something very vivid and very real that is from the Lord. And instead of running away from it, just wondering if it was bad pizza you know, or you didn't, didn't get enough sleep the night before, as we're opening our hearts up to him during these 40 days, write it down. Write it down, what you feel like has been put in your heart. It, it may be for you. It may be for somebody else. But the good news is, if it is from the Lord, it's no matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when it's going to happen, when he's going to bring it into, into pass and into being. So I want to encourage you every day, every day, every day that you can take advantage of what's coming your way. You you can have this book. You'll be able to read that, your Bible. You have your your copy of the Scripture. But then these things that will be sent out by email and Facebook that will will be a help and will be an encouragement. And and, uh, let us know as things uh, break in, break through, things happen, encouragements to you that we'd be able to, to, to share. Now this morning, and you know, I, and Shirley and I didn't 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 talk before the service today um, that much. Other than we've just been we've been praying toward these Sundays and that the Lord would speak. But I I just have had I woke up with it this morning. And the Lord just just moved strong upon me, confirming again the sense that He's calling us to pray for specific people, specific people. There is a breakthrough. There are points of deliverance. There, are, there, is a, there is an opportunity for folks who, who don't know Jesus. Now is the time. 
This is the moment. This is the day of salvation. Uh, So as I'm talking up here, I'm praying that the Lord will just be bringing faces up clearly in your mind. And as as you see those faces, just, just in your heart, be drawing a circle around those ones that you care about. Now, now I'm going to say that you care about. There may be ones that, that you're burdened for, that, that you genuinely love, and, and they're just away from the Lord, or they don't know the Lord, or, or, or something has come and is... Has, has bruised them and hurt them and caused them to doubt and despair, and so they've just checked out. But it may also be ones that, you've, that, that, that you work with um, or that you work for, and, and, and they're, they're hard to deal with, and it seems as if when the name Jesus comes up or, or anything that would seem to be positive or warm in the direction of faith, it just seems to send them off. They, they just, you, you can talk about anything except Jesus. You can talk about anything virtually except being, having the freedom to open your heart and share with them. Those, some of the folks, listen, some of the greatest servants of the Lord have been at some points in their lives some of the Lord's greatest enemies, in a sense. They were away from him, not just, not just uh, benign in, in their attitude, violent in their attitude, wanting to shut it down. Folks, listen, if you work under somebody, you work with somebody like that, you have folks in your family like that, this is coming right at you this morning. And I want to ask you, to, as, as we're going through this, I want you to just in your mind, Lord, I'm drawing a circle around that face right there. I'm drawing a circle, and in the name of Jesus, I'm claiming them for the cross. I'm claiming them for the power of your blood. I'm speaking the name of Jesus over them, and I'm, I'm asking you to rescue them and save them. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. I want you to turn with me first in your copy of the scripture, to the gospel of Luke and chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. This is the story of a little man, but a little powerful man, a little rich man named Zacchaeus. As we have said before, in talking about tax gatherers and the ones that they're lumped together with, tax gatherers and sinners, you determine what to you is the most despicable lifestyle and most despicable profession. To you, the most despicable lifestyle and most despicable profession. You come up with that name, and everywhere you see the name tax gatherer, and it's often mentioned in the Gospels, everywhere you see the term or the name tax gatherer, you swap it out with your most despicable, most despised profession or lifestyle. That's who Zacchaeus was. 
he would have been the lowest of the low, the most despised by decent society, rejected by his own countrymen because he was so worthless in the sense of being a good Jewish citizen, of having anything to do with God. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. But also you do remember the name Matthew, don't you? The first book in your Testament, your New Testament, was written by a man who once was a tax gatherer. They, they were hired by the Romans, the occupying country, the Romans, to collect taxes from their Jewish brothers and sisters, the Jewish citizenry. That was bad enough. That was considered a traitorous act working for the Romans, extracting usury, extracting taxes from your country. But beyond that, the Romans let them figure out what the price of the tax would be that they charged the people. So the Roman tax could be here. That was the agreement with the tax gatherers when the Roman government and the individual tax gatherer but the citizenry didn't know that deal. And so the tax gatherers could put anything on top of that, and they kept the difference. That's why they were known as being filthy rich, having plenty of stuff, plenty of everything, except what they didn't have was the favor of the people around them. They were thought of as traitors, liars, cheats, debauched to the core. And it is striking, folks, that Jesus sought them out, not to lecture them out of the book of Deuteronomy or out of the book of Leviticus, but to spend time with them, to, to express a sense of dignity toward them. The, the, the religious crowd could not handle it. They could not figure this out. But here is what is at the core of why Jesus came. He speaks it in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that whoever would believe in him would not have to perish, but would ever have everlasting life. God so loved the world even before the world said they were sorry, even before the world ever decided they wanted to go to church, or, or before they ever quit cussing, or before they ever quit sleeping around, or before they ever quit cursing God. God so loved the world as the world was, before it ever repented, before it ever changed, that he gave his son Jesus. It didn't start out with God mad at the world. It started out with God loving the world. Now, whoever that hard person is in your life, whoever that one is that, that just seems to freak out whenever the name Jesus comes up or, or warmth in the direction of God, they just, they, just get into, they just get into cold fits over that, turns to rage. Instead of the attitude being, 
that God hates them. God is just disgusted with them. Take the words of Jesus, brother or sister, and apply the words of Jesus that expressed his heart into your attitude toward those. God loves them. They're doing wrong things. They've got bad attitudes and so forth. But that does not change the fact that at the core of God's heart for them is his love for them. Now, folks, if you can't get there, we'll never be able to fully appreciate the magnitude of a story like this involving Zacchaeus, not just a tax gatherer, but he was a chief tax gatherer. He's on toward the top of the food chain. He's got other tax gatherers underneath him. He he could have been looked upon as the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low, the baddest of the bad. But look what it says. Luke 19, verse 1, And Jesus entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax gatherer, and he was rich. And he was trying, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. And he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus. For he, Jesus, was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him, received Jesus gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble. Now, this, this is the, this is the uh, polite police, the religious police, the, the culturally acceptable police, and the, 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 the religious people. They saw Jesus being kind toward this chief tax gatherer and, in, and basically inviting himself over to the tax gatherer's house. It freaked them out. They couldn't understand how anybody who had any kind of a a right relationship with God would want to have anything in the world world to do with somebody as bad as as Zacchaeus. They couldn't handle it. It, it it, it It just ripped them half in two. And and they would take that same logic and press it in. Jesus could not be the Messiah. He couldn't be the one we're waiting for. Because look how he shows kindness toward these bad people. And then on top of that, look how the bad people want to be around him. I mean, there's an elephant in the room here. We got somebody claiming to be God, and he's not mad at these people like we say you got to be mad at them. And then they're 
coming to him, and why would they be doing that? Listen, Zacchaeus hadn't said, I'm sorry for anything. Zacchaeus hadn't paid anybody back that he stole from. Zacchaeus hadn't confessed Jesus as Lord. Zacchaeus hadn't been baptized. Zacchaeus hadn't quit what he was doing. Jesus came to him right where he was and didn't wait for Zacchaeus to invite him in. Jesus took on the initiative to invite himself in to Zacchaeus' own house. Will you, will, you, will you just keep drawing your circle around that one that may be at the top of your list as being the hardest one to get along with, the, 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 the one that just seems to have been so far gone for so long, the one who seems to be so encrusted with wealth and position that it doesn't seem like they're just, they've got any kind of life at all in the direction of spiritual things? You keep drawing that circle with one hand and lay your hand in your Bible on this story about Zacchaeus with the other. Because what you're praying for is, Lord, I'm asking you to do in this life what you did in this Zacchaeus' life. I, I, I need, he, that one needs the same thing. We continue on. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he, he's, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. Now, now, now what's the order here? Did Jesus say, I'm going to come to your house after Zacchaeus has said, I'm coming clean with my junk. Or did he say, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house before Zacchaeus ever admitted, confessed anything? Where does it start? It, 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 it's never going to be, I found the Lord. How are you going to find him when you can't see? Where are you going to look? It's never about I found the Lord. No! He finds you. He finds you. And what does he find when he finds us? He finds somebody who hadn't repented, somebody who's hard-hearted and selfish and dead to many things spiritually. But he sees something in you of infinite value. Scripture will say we have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. It can be things we don't even see in ourselves or others don't see in us, but the Lord Jesus Christ sees your value, sees how you're precious to him, and he will come after you. So how did he come after Zacchaeus? Fussing? Did he come at him throwing scripture? Promising judgment? He came after Zacchaeus with kindness in his heart toward the man. 
extending to him the dignity of a human being, granting to him the honor of his presence. It's not recorded that Jesus invited himself into anybody else's house in all of Jericho. He picked out, can I say this again? He picked out the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst, though the man was filthy rich. But the Lord had designs on him. Saw him in ways that Zacchaeus didn't see himself and others didn't see himself. And he came after him. Now read on with me. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because he too is a son of Abraham. And then this line, this line, this verse, it's, it, it's, it's memorized, quoted in, 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 throughout the, the centuries of the church. But what was the context? Here's the, the statement. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man, Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He speaks that as a reason why he's doing what he's doing with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is lost, but the heart of the Savior is to rescue the ones who were lost. That, that, that he has come, has come to seek and to save. The word to seek means to look for until you find it. Not to look for with a casual attitude, but to look for with zeal, to look for with determination, to look for in detail until you find what you're looking for. And to save, to rescue, deliver, to set free, to fill up in freedom the one who is lost. With one hand circling the name of that one who may be rich, who may have power politically and otherwise, but, but who, has, who has determined to live a way that he or she chooses to live, but it's away from God. You, you, you draw a circle around that name, and you put your hand, you keep your hand on, on Luke, chapter, Luke chapter 19, and you just keep circling that, Lord, Say it again, Lord, do for this one what you did in Zacchaeus. I'm going to accept your conclusion that you love them right where they are. You love them unrepentant. You love them unchanged. You love them enough to come after them and bring them unto yourself. And somehow, some way, when that's being done, they're not going to feel demeaned. They're not going to feel crushed and ground to powder necessarily. They're going to feel the love of God. Paul will write, it is the goodness and kindness of God that leads a man to repentance, that leads a person to repentance, the goodness and kindness of God. It may be before the train wreck happens, 
The wages of sin is death. The way of the transgressor is hard. The Lord can come in advance of the train wreck that is inevitable, that is coming, and cause a heart to be melted with the sense of his love prior to the worst of the worst happening. But it can also be when the harvest comes in. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows or woman sows, that they're going to reap. The way of the transgressor is hard. You keep sowing those seeds, keep living that way, and you're, you're going to drive off a bridge. You, you, ruin comes to a degree. And in that place, in that place, like with the, the prodigal son, the younger of the two that, that brothers that, that left, he, he had to run out of everything. A famine had to consume everything. And it was in that place when he came to his senses, Jesus, as he told the story, he got up and returned to his father, believing that his father would receive him, he said, not even as a son, but would receive me as a hired hand because of the kindness that he remembered in the heart of his father. It, it, it may be after the train wreck. It may be after the harvest has come in. But in that place, it is still the goodness and the kindness of the Lord that leads, that, that leads a person to a change. May it be. It's not our business to tell the Lord how he deals with people or what he needs to do and when he needs to do it. That's his business. It's just our role to keep praying. Keep praying. Don't give up on anybody. Don't draw the conclusion, I've just got to live the rest of my life as if this person will never be changed, will never be different. You, you go on realizing that they don't own you and you don't have to buckle to their moods and their whims. But there is this promise in the Scripture that the Lord is not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, I want to leave Luke 19 and Zacchaeus, and I want you to go with me over to the book of Acts. And I want us to look for a few minutes at this man named Saul. Saul. Acts chapter 7. When Stephen the young deacon is being stoned, these things are being spoken. Verse 54, Acts 7, 54. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, the ones that Stephen had been debating, began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Son of Man Jesus standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and they rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Verse 3. But Saul began ravaging the church entering house after house, 
and dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. Saul was very bright. He was very passionate. He was convinced that what he was doing was right in the sight of God. To persecute, to try to annihilate from Judaism the followers of this heretic named Jesus of Nazareth. He had scriptural basis, he thought for why he was doing what he was doing. He could quote Moses' statement, cursed is a man, any man who hangs upon a tree. That that, that, that would be a ritual, a rite, a, a, a way of performing judgment upon a guilty man. And they knew it was common knowledge that Jesus had been crucified. He had been impaled upon a Roman cross. Therefore, according to Scripture, how could a man hanging on a cross ever think he could be called the Messiah? His logic was based according to certain excerpts from Scripture. He was convinced that Jesus was a heretic, and that all those who would follow Jesus are tragically being misled. He could articulate his position. It wasn't enough for, for Saul to just have these things in his mind and know them. He felt that it was his duty to rise up and lead the charge against that heresy. Therefore, he goes, he gets letters, granting him authority to capture, to arrest, to imprison all those in Damascus who were followers of the way. You mention the name Jesus around Saul, and in those days, he would freak out. You could mention any other name to Saul of Tarsus in those days probably, and you would at least get a gracious grunt in your direction. But you mention the name Jesus, and his eyes see fire, and his passions are inflamed to shut you up. Do you know anybody like that? Do you have anybody in your family like that? Do you work for somebody like that? Do you, do you know anybody like that? Right, get out your pencil. Start drawing that circle. You look at that face. You remember what they're prone to do when the name Jesus comes up. And we'll keep reading. Chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder, threats and murder, still breathing threats and murder. Those kinds of that kind of attitude was as natural to Saul as breathing. His hatred for the followers of the way, his hatred for Jesus, 
was as natural to him as breathing and would be as required of him as breathing. And he asked for letters from the high priests to the high priest. asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, followers of the way, followers of Jesus, both men and women, didn't matter, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now just stop right there. What kind of heart would act this way? Where did the conviction come from? How powerful, how powerful is what's working in this personality? How strong, how, how violent. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly... A light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you were persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days, three days without sight neither ate nor drank. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias departed and entered the house and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he arose and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. And the rest is history. You hold in your lap a Bible 
two-thirds of the New Testament of which was written by this man inspired by the Spirit. What happened to him? What happened to him? Locked down conclusions, rock solid in his conviction, absolutely certain that what he believed about Jesus of Nazareth was true. And then suddenly, everything changed. Folks, listen, listen, hear it again. What did Jesus say as he began, as he taught on how we were to pray? What, what did he say we were to pray? Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Come thy kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Come thy kingdom. It, it, it's imperative. It, it's, a, it, it's the right to call forth an intrusive action. The right to call forth even, if you will, a violent action. An invasive action. An action meant to conquer, come thy kingdom. We, we've said over and over again, but, but you can't have a kingdom without a what? Without a king. It, it, it's not the written Articles of, of charter and, and entitlement that would, be, that would make up the kingdom. It is the presence of the king. What happened, what happened to Saul of Tarsus is exactly what has to happen to anybody who truly comes into the kingdom, who gets the kingdom. There is an encounter with the living Jesus Christ. What Paul or Saul did not, was not able to do before, now he's able to do. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Saul couldn't believe because he hadn't heard anything from Jesus. But once he heard from Jesus, once there was the awareness of the presence of Jesus, his heart was broken, his mind was changed in his conclusion. Life began to rise up in that dead spirit, in that man. My brothers and my sisters, you keep praying. That way, come thy kingdom. Lord, bring the presence of the king. Bring your presence to this one that is so hard, that is so cold, that is so angry, that is so hostile. Reveal yourself to them, Lord. Reveal yourself to them. Show them your presence. Come, Lord Jesus. Make your presence known. Folks, listen, none of us found the Lord. You didn't find the Lord. Where would you look? He found you. He found you. And somebody was praying, more than likely, for your soul. And as an answer to that prayer, he made himself known to you. You see, that way it's not a wife having to shackle her husband to a church pew to get him to church. Or, or a, a parent having to, having to drive the kid to church all the time and, and make sure that the youth pastor is, is, is locking them down and is pouring into them. Now, nothing wrong with coming to church. But there's a massive difference between behavior being imposed from the outside and trying to get it in and behavior being altered because there's been something to happen on the inside. 
I met the Lord. He's real. You, you, I don't care who doesn't believe it. I know. He made himself known to me. That's why Saul, there, there was no doubt. All doubt was gone from that point on. Jesus Christ is real. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is the one that I give my life to the point of death to serve. He's everything and more that I heard that he was. And he's the one who enables me to do whatever it is I'm supposed to do because it is his strength giving me the ability to do. I can do all things through the one who is giving me strength. Folks, I'm just telling you, You've you got to be convinced of that. Nobody can tell you that's true. You, you, that's got to drop 18 inches. And until that happens, you're just trying to live off of somebody else's story. But when that happens to you, when the king brings his kingdom to your heart, and you know he's real, and you know he's there, it is an automatic to want to follow him, and want to serve him, and want to testify for him, and want to live for him. Circle. I'm talking about the hard cases. I'm talking about the ones that whenever the name Jesus comes up, it, they just check out. That being the far extreme and everything back from there, draw the circle. Draw the circle. Hold your hand over, over that, that story in Acts chapter 9. Lord, what Saul needed, I'm asking you to do for them. Lord, what I needed, I'm asking you to do for them. Let me give you just a, one, one more hint that I, I think is, is a part of Paul's testimony. Go, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And he, he's writing about dealing with some problems in the church, misbehavior, sinful conduct in the church. But, but he, there's, there's a part of this that, that I, I believe that he's revealing his own story, what he came to be convinced of. Look, look at verse 3, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. He says... For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. He's talking about fighting the spiritual fight, spiritual warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful. They may not look like much in the natural. They might not look like much to the academics or to those who would be looking for, for firing pins and bullets and launching pads, but these are divinely powerful, powerful as far as God is concerned, for what purpose? For the destruction of fortresses, for the destruction of fortresses. People are held captive. People are bound behind the walls of fortresses. And then he lists the fortresses. What are the fortresses? We are destroying speculations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, he's speaking of how he's praying. He's praying that the Lord will destroy speculations in the name of Jesus and every lofty thing and every thought will be taken captive to obedience of Christ. But here's, here's what the word speculation means. I think Paul is saying, in a sense, this is what happened to me. I was, I was imprisoned behind this fortress or these fortresses of thought. So the word speculation, it comes from the word that we get the word logic. 
Logic. Logic. Conclusions that are logical, but they end up with the wrong conclusion. Paul is saying, in effect, I had conclusions. My logic was drawing, sending me to particular conclusions about who Jesus was. But when I met him, when he made his presence known to me, in an instant, my wrong logic and the fortress that that had been in my mind and my heart was destroyed. The manifest presence of Jesus destroyed my, the wrong logic that was holding me captive. Do you know some folks that are convinced that what they are saying and what they are believing is true, but you know from the scripture, you know from who Jesus is, it's wrong, but you can't convince them that it's wrong. There is one who can. And he has the power to convince of truth as it stands juxtaposed to error. He can do it in an instant by the manifesting of his presence. Come thy kingdom. By the power of your spirit, Lord, make your presence known. And then the next one he says is, and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. That's pride. That's the hubris part of us, the pride. The pride that just, just doesn't want to quit, doesn't want to give in, doesn't want to honor, doesn't want to yield. But when you see Jesus for who he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the ones raised from the dead, and he's making his presence known, and he's drawing near to you, then everything else pales in comparison to who he is. Bow before him to confess him as Lord. Draw your circle. Don't make the ones on your list the easy ones. You, you let the Lord bring to mind ones that would be a Saul of Tarsus. Just the name Jesus comes up and they freak out. Their name. Acts chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Draw the circle. Speak the name. Years ago, when we were in Amarillo, Texas, I got a phone call. And I'm, this is our second church to pastor. I'm in my mid-20s, something like that, maybe late 20s. We hadn't been there long. I get a phone call, and on the other end of the, the line was a fellow who said, my name is Billy Hobbs. He said that like I was supposed to know automatically who he was. In those days, Billy Hobbs had to turn sideways to get his ego through a door. Okay. I'm Billy Hobbs, and I'm looking for somebody to baptize me who believes in the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what he said. Our first conversation. I want to be baptized, but I want the person who baptizes me to believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That meant that in Dallas or somewhere prior to coming back to Amarillo, 
Billy had come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. He had received Christ as Savior. He also had understood as an athlete, um, All-American at Texas A&M, played in the NFL. Those things Alamo City family will remember about Billy. I, I, I understand coaching. I understand, this is what I felt like he was saying. I don't know what it is to be coached. I need to be coached. Lordship, Jesus is Lord, means he could coach me and I could trust him. So we set up a time, and I baptized Billy, and he, we became fast friends. He, he, he was fresh out of, the, out of the world, fresh, fresh out of the world. I won't go into all that. But there was something about him that struck me as a man with a passion that what he believed in, he would give everything he had to pursue. And Jesus had come to be that passion in him. We, 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 we traveled the country, the, the southern states, in, in youth camps and conferences and Doing, doing things together. He, when we moved to San Antonio, Billy ended up coming, coming down here. I, I was out at a friend's ranch, and the friend was washing dishes after supper. And this is a, he was an oil man and a real estate kind of a guy, and, but, but he had gone to school with Billy. When Billy was at A&M. <laughs> and I started telling him about what had been going on in Billy Hobbs. I said, you, have you heard of Billy Hobbs? And, and then I kept talking. In a minute, he, he put his towel down and he put the plate down at the sink. And he turns and looks at me and he says, I'm still scared of Billy Hobbs. I don't know what it was. Billy ran some kind of racket where you couldn't get through the quad, the quadrangle there, unless somehow you paid him something. I don't know what in the world it was. Fighting in, fighting in bars and clubs and, and, and just, just a cane razor, just, just known for being mean. But then he met Jesus. Jesus found him. And on one occasion at a, at a youth camp, there was a young boy who couldn't walk, either a paraplegic or a quadriplegic, and there were a couple thousand kids at this camp. Billy would go before every event where kids were supposed to gather around that campground, and he would find that young man, and he would literally put that boy on his back. And he would carry him to the events and the gatherings. He did it all week long. The joy and the kindness of the Lord flowing out through somebody who years after they had left school, a grown man is saying, I'm still scared of Billy Hobbs. We ran into... Bruce and Holly Colley, Shirley and I did this last week. You'll remember 
the Collie family, Lexi and Lamar and, and Bruce. And Bruce, for a number of years, was just away from the Lord. He's got three Super Bowl rings. He played for the 49ers with Joe Montana and that crew. Away from God, just, just, just living his life. His mom was about this tall, Lexi. And she would meet with us down there on the far end of this hall on the Friday morning prayer meeting, and she would pour her heart out for that baby boy, Bruce. The day finally came, not sure all of how it happened, but Bruce received Jesus as his Savior and Lord, <laughs> and he shows up in the church. He shows up here at Alamo City, too. He's wanting to be baptized. Hobbs is here, present, and he's doing a lot of baptizing. So here comes this great big six seven six eight Bruce Colley down the aisle, and he meets this linebacker, Billy Hobbs. And they come around and get up in that baptistry. And Bruce was telling us this week, and I'd forgotten about it. Bruce said, he said, I got it. He said, you remember when Billy baptized me? And I said, yeah, I do. He said, he put me under the water, and I didn't think he was ever going to let me up. <laughs> he said, it was so long, he said, my stomach muscles started tensing. I thought I was going to have to get up by myself, only to find out later that as Billy had Bruce under the water, Billy was saying out this way, I've always wanted to have an offensive lineman in this position. <laughs> but he said... He finally got up, and they embraced, and they were great friends all the way to the end of Billy's life. Folks, listen. There are chosen vessels that the vessel can't see at the time when he or she is away from the Lord. But the Lord sees that one as a chosen vessel. If they were great for the devil... If they've been off awesome serving themselves, they can be unbelievable servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a way of flipping the switch. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Let those names rise during the day. You just keep drawing a circle. Lord, what you did to Saul, what you did for, for that little wee little man up in that, in that sycamore tree, Zacchaeus, do for this one. Do for this one. And we're going to end the service today in this way. And Shirley has already begun that, and, and, and it, it was right for us to by name. I, I, I want to, before you leave this room, if it is in your heart to do, and there is, there is someone that as we've been speaking it's just been rising up. I, I want to ask you as we close the service, some, you're, you're dismissed to do what you want to do. You're, you're, able to, you're free to leave. But if this is incubating, if it's cooking in your heart, Lord, they need it. I'm asking you, bring the breakthrough. I'm asking you to conquer them. I'm asking you to invade their hearts. Bring your kingdom. Make your presence known. I want you to get up from where you're seated and just come down this way and get on your knees around the platform and go on record one more time, is calling their name out before the Lord. 
Lord, you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm asking you, bring your kingdom. Bring your kingdom to me, Lord. Lord, thank you for the time together this morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for rescuing us from ourselves and from our sins. Will you guide our prayers? Will you hold us in the place steady, filled with faith that you give to us to believe that you'll finish what you start in every life? In Jesus' name, amen.